Hello, everyone, and welcome to BXB's Bits and Bobs, episode 13. I am your host, Benjamin Stevenson-Hall, and uh, Editor-in-Chief of BXB. Today with us, as always, the gang is back. We have Adam Breeden, PC Hello. Reviews Editor. We that have Richard Worrell, Richard Worrell, Editor of Reviews Across the Whole Site. Yes, the master of everything, is what master. you should say. <laughs> I like that, master of, master of, not puppets, just everything. Okay. Um, basically, I wanted to first of all say, just right at the top of the show, apologies for any technical problems. I say any technical problems. There were a major technical problem with last <laughs> week's show, uh, which basically cut off about 20 minutes at the end of the podcast. Um, that Because the way we do this, we record on Google Hangouts, uh, and that's where I take the audio from. Um, due to that fact, the audio was just as fucked as the video. And basically, towards the end of me talking about Mafia 3, everything went sideways and just sort of stopped. And I think it was caused by me sh doing the screen sharing thing with the video reviews. So guess what? Not going to do that this week. It was um, a shame as well, because we did actually solve racism at the end of that podcast, didn't we? You know, yeah, we it's, it's a yeah, lost. It's gone. Sorry, guys. We also <laughs> came up with a, a viable way of increasing the pound. And uh, just by pure coincidence, Parliament has actually come up and done the same thing we were suggesting. Um, so, well, by enforcing the actual law of Britain. But uh, we aren't going to get into that too much because, well, we don't all agree. So let's not let's not talk too much politics about all that. That's the best reason to discuss it. No, but it's not the show. Not. Maybe we'll do a politics show. No, we won't. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that's why um, the... Recording was fucked, and I apologise about that. It was a bummer because I think I, I don't I can't remember what we lost, but we did lose some fairly substantial stuff at the end of that. But it is the nature of amateurs, you know. We don't have fancy recording, and we're not all in one. Best thing would be if we're all in one location. That would be mm. ideal. I, I'd love to do that. That'd be great. One of these one of these days, I'll actually meet you two in person. That would yeah, be that'd exciting. Be cool. That would be good. Somewhere no not reason. in Britain would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Just let's take let's just take BXB games to Iceland or something. Yeah, just permanent. Oh, just yes. live in Iceland. I know, I know, I know. Site admin Ash would be very keen to do that as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he would love nothing more than to move to Iceland based on his Facebook statuses. Well, there you go. So, well, nice Exodus. Let's get 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 on it. Iceland, Reykjavik. Actually, let's just let's just build like a bunker, like on a on a you know glacial field somewhere, just in the middle of nowhere. Be self sufficient, off the grid server farms you know that kind of thing let's just do it let's just do it um yeah it only only cost a little bit of money but um yeah but uh, so that's that the other thing i want to housekeeping wise still looking to recruit people i've still got games to send people get in touch like that that you know i will i'll take anything do you want to do it as a haiku i'll take it as... no i won't not quite a haiku but um, yeah, get, get in touch if you're interested in covering video games. That you know, it's always fun. Um, but yeah, that's kind of that's the housekeeping. That's the housekeeping. So I saw Doctor Strange last night. Tell us about Doctor Strange because I saw that you um, liked the 3D, which I thought was like yeah, 2013 of you. Very surprising. <laughs> I do. I, that's what I wanted to bring up. First of all, I want to ask you, what was the last for you guys? What was the last 3D films you you saw in cinema? Probably like Toy Story three. Wow! Get out! Wow! That is a long time ago. What about you, Richard? I'm trying to think, I can't remember the last film I watched in the cinema. So I do clearly tend to a memorable watch, experience. Yeah, well, I don't know. I can't. I can't remember, but I do tend to watch in three D. Actually, I do still watch them, and sometimes even buy them on Blu-ray. 
Well, it's because you have a 3D TV. Uh, the reason I'm bringing it up is because um, I don't know if you guys have seen Doctor Strange or even know who the fuck Doctor Strange is because it's a Marvel character. Fair enough, not even a big one. Um, but the this film last night, I was so impressed. It was like genuinely the best 3D I've ever, I've ever seen um, because the concept of Doctor Strange being this mystical kind of warping reality thing really lent itself to over-the-top uses of 3D. And, and yeah, it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, and I honestly think it's one of those rare occasions of a 3D film where it's like, I'm going to watch that at home and it won't be as good in 2D. Mm-hmm. So like genuinely, genuinely a cool experience. So if you get a chance, that's my recommendation. Go check okay. out Doctor Strange in 3D. Um, I spoke, also it's quite funny. Uh, what was it about about two weeks ago, just after the last podcast? I go, hey guys, new season of Black Mirror. Let's all watch Black Mirror so we can talk about it on the podcast. I've seen one episode. Oh, Ben. <sighs> what did well, you watch? watch? I just watched the first one of season three. Okay. And that's, that's all I've seen. And I, I liked it, but work is a nightmare. So yeah, Richard knows that one well. But yeah, um, yeah, that's what I've seen. But I want to see more. It was really good. So maybe we'll have to do a spoiler cast at some point in the future. We'll have to talk about it next time. I'm on my second run of season three. Is that good? Wow. I can respect. I'm, I'm also, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm also, I, I was very excited about Westworld. I then didn't do Westworld. And now I'm feeling like, because everybody is creaming so hard over it, I kind of don't want to do it. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's strange, like, still the fuck oh. out. Not, I mean, it's probably good, but I'm getting a lot of like, a little bit of lost vibes about it. Like, you know, it's really slowly paced and there's lots of mysteries. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what I didn't like about Lost. Though. So no, I think this will be different though, because Lost has been written on the hoof. Like you could sort of tell that the writers were setting up mysteries and were planning to figure out the solution to that mystery in the future. Like they didn't know at the time when they set it up. And Westworld's based off a film, and as far as people who've told me who've watched it, I've not watched any of it. But people tell me it's kind of just very slowly following the plot of that film. So it does have a destination in mind, I think. Well, uh, a friend of mine said to me, oh, my God, why aren't you watching it as a gamer? You're going to take so much away from this. Mm. Uh, and that really that really made me curious as to what exactly they were doing with it. But I've seen the film, um, but, you know, it, I, the original film. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I tried to watch the pilot first episode of it and I got about 20 minutes in. And I just was like, I'm not in the mood. I'm not in the mood. I'm sure this is great, but I'm not I'm not I'm not feeling it right now. I think it's got a lot to do with just like work being what it is. It's like I don't really want to come home and engage my brain. I want to switch it off. So it's, uh, it's difficult. One of those things. I can't imagine it's better than Black Mirror season three. So watch that first. (laughs) Like Black Mirror is not just good. It feels important. It feels like something everyone should be made to watch. It's a little bit of the problem though, isn't it? Charlie Brooker is so far up his own butt sometimes. (laughs) He really, really believes he used to feel quite vibrant and counterculture, uh, you know, in the early days of screen wipes and things like that. And But I, I just felt like he started to buy into his own hype a bit. Like, oh, I am a modern prophet. I don't know yeah. if that's fair. I don't know if it's buying into his hype. I think he's just got better at being good himself and not just complaining how bad others are. You know, he's got legitimate reason to complain about other people now because he is the master of this stuff. He's really <laughs> Um, I'm, well, look, I'm going to have to uh, break the fourth wall over here. I guess uh, technical problems. 
Adam, are you hearing Richard's really distorted audio? Yeah, yeah, I got the crackles there. Okay, just so Richard, if you can see what you can do about that, and me and Adam will, will, chat, can will tell you if it's working. Take the Rice Krispies out of your mic yeah. microphone. That would be great. Everybody yeah. else sounded fine, but you sounded real bad. Then really distorted. Um, but yeah, that's fine. Well, while Richard sorts that out, though, the other thing I want to talk about before we get into games, which we have loads to talk about, is Adam. Yes. You've, you have been immersed deeply within this burgeoning <laughs> controversy that has come out of a game you profess to love in biblical levels. Indeed, indeed. And in fact, quite ironically, I had been thinking, even a couple of weeks ago, I was like, maybe I should make a video about how RimWorld treats gay colonists, because it, it bothered me for a, quite a long time. And so, you know, kept putting it off and kept putting it off. And in a cautionary tale about the perils of procrastination, the whole thing fucking exploded about half an hour after I started writing my script for it. <laughs> so it's great because it looks like now I'm just piling on the bandwagon and I could have looked like I was ahead of the game, but never mind. At its heart, the issue is so that well, it's it sort of it's developed over time. But when I first started writing the script, the issue I had with the game was that you have these colonists and they have all these traits and these traits kind of define aspects of their personality and work to distinguish your colonists from each other. One of the traits is your colonists can be gay. And that trait is purely detrimental to your colonist. It is a disaster for a colonist to be gay. And the reason it is a disaster is that it, it's functionally a permanent negative mood boost. Um, colonists attempt to form relationships. And if a colonist gets knocked back in their relationship attempt, they take a penalty rebuffed by so-and-so. Um, Rimworld is all about managing your colonists' moods. Almost everything you do is just to either give benefits or remove negatives from your colonists' mood charts. Um, you know, if it's really cold, the reason that's a problem is it makes them sad and sad colonists go insane and start shooting people. So you play the whole game trying to manage the moods. And so the fact that being gay means, especially if you've only got one gay colonist, they're never going to form a relationship, but they're going to keep trying. And that means they take this almost constant rebuffed by um, debuff on their mood. So it's like they're manically depressed. Like being gay is like a mental illness in RimWorld. It just means they're permanently on this minus eight mood modifier. That's a problem. It's a bigger problem when you consider how colonists are recruited in RimWorld, which is that mostly you get into a fight and you'll knock someone out rather than kill them. And then you'll capture them and you'll sort of convert them to join your colony during that period you're holding them captive. If you don't want to hold them captive, you probably just bludgeon them to death on the battlefield and steal their stuff. Now, because you don't want to recruit gay colonists because they're really bad for morale, you tend to just go, oh, I might recruit this guy. Oh, no, wait, he's gay. Instead, I'll smash his brains in right now and kill him. So it leads to, accidentally, this kind of murderous homophobia. <laughs> which is a problem, right? And it's an even bigger problem. I mean, obviously, internet forums discuss RimWorld and give advice to new players. And a lot of gamers are kind of young teenagers and love to fucking edgelord it up. So you start to see threads appearing on RimWorld forums that are all about the elaborate and clever ways people have dreamt up to dispatch the gays in their colony. And it gets really unpleasant, right? <laughs> Now, none of that's Tynan's fault. Tynan is the guy who made the game. But you do sort of wonder. It's a similar sort of thing to This is the Police, where it makes me wonder, what do you really think about gay people? Are your feelings that, you know, 
being gay is somehow a negative on a human being coming through in your game design or is this just an accidental oversight and so you start trying to find out more about Tynan himself and when I did that a few bits and pieces came up that I wasn't reassured by he's a very outspoken supporter of this fucking game called hashtag black lives matter which is a terror defense game in which you have to protect your police station from hordes of black lives matters protesters who are attacking it now this was banned from google play and itch.io and tynan felt this was an act of censorship and posted quite publicly in support of the developers right to freedom of speech He's never commented on the content of the game, just on the freedom of speech issue around it. Uh, I found a very long interview with Tynan where he talks at great length about uh, RimWorld. It's an interview on Breitbart Tech, which is Milo Dickhead's fucking website and is not a pleasant readership, generally speaking. <laughs> um, so like, when you try and dig into his actual personal politics, you can't find any like you know smoking guns, but at the same time, in the whole game gate controversy, he was very like neutral and didn't get involved. So you just don't know, but he seems to be yeah. a little bit leaning that way, right? I was going to say, I think the most interesting thing you brought up in that video was what RPS had found out about how he yes. treats lesbians. So then I Rock, Paper, that's... Shotgun, because, because it's an early access game, and I think Tynan mm. believes quite strongly in sort of open source stuff, as he seems to have quite a libertarian bent to his politics. The source for RimWorld is pretty publicly available. And Rock Paper Shotgun dug into the source to see how male and female colonists, well, to see all sorts of things really, but they published an article about how male and female colonists differ. And it particularly relates to this gay issue where female colonists have a non zero chance of accepting an advance from another female, even if they're not like gay. If they don't have the gay trait, there's still a chance they'll agree to it and form a relationship and, you know, get busy. Male colonists, <laughs> male colonists will never, ever accept an advance from a gay from a gay colonist if they're not gay themselves. So, as Rock Paper Shotgun put it, in the world of RimWorld, all women are to some extent bisexual, and no men are bisexual ever. There are only four types of colonists: there are bisexual women, lesbian women, gay men, and straight men. There is nothing else. And there's a few other things that they dig up about the way attractiveness is calculated. Like basically, it, one, of the, one of the modifiers on attractiveness is your age minus 20. So like 20 years old is optimum attractiveness and anything outside of that is like pawns are less interested in you. So that's sort of sleazy. And Tynan wades into the comments thread on this Rock Paper Shotgun article and starts quite robustly defending himself and includes things like a link to a fucking... Um, match.com survey that's like an oh, okay, Cupid survey that shows that women are more likely to be bisexual than men and says some ill advised things about well, most of the bisexual men I've ever met have turned out to in fact just be gay and bisexuality was just a sort of phase they were going through. Fine, uh. <laughs> so you get into a bunch of like social fucking problems there. And anyway, so I made a video about it and I tried to sort of explore this topic in an even handed way as much as I could. In the end, my conclusion is that I'm not sure what Tynan's feelings are on the subject, but I do think there's been some cynicism in the way he's considered how his audience will react. I think, you know, if two female colonists bunk up, even if you're kind of anti-gay, that's cool because it's like, you know, porny and nice and eh, a bit exotic, but you would be 
perhaps upset if two male colonists bunked up. And, you know, I think Tynan's kind of been quite cynical in just thinking what's marketable to his audience, especially if he thinks his audience are Breitbart readers who are an interesting group, let's say. I, I You know what? I, I don't know if he's thinking of this as a marketing angle. I think it's more likely that he's ignorant and that he just, assume, just sees sexuality in this way because he's a bit of a right-wing pig. Mm, um, that's that's, that's, I don't think he's thought to himself, oh, I know. The people that play this game are gonna gonna get you know enjoy this element. I just think it's like that's how I think because I'm an idiot and I'm a right wing one and it's just like yeah, you're a dick. <laughs> you're I can't a dick. argue. I mean, like there's there's things I didn't include in my video, but I'll mention on the podcast because it's less likely to get back to Tynan and cause me huge problems <laughs> uh, on Twitter. I read his game design blog and oh man, Tynan is not short of self confidence. Oh, it's the most arrogant screed I've ever read in my life. It's just, you know, he's a genius in his own mind, for sure. Well, I mean, you said that this RimWorld is basically all his, yeah? It's him and a programmer. There's one of the programmer who works on it, but it's basically like him and one of the guy. That That is impressive, but it also means when you're working in isolation for the most part, mm-hmm. you know, there, there isn't a group of people going, oh, hey, have you seen this thing you've done with sexuality? Because that's a little bit like, ooh, yeah, exactly. I want to tweak that. Um, you know, and, and yeah, that's, it's not like it's worth vilifying him or crucifying him. It just, I just feel like the, the guy probably needs educating. He needs exposing to yes. more of the realities of sexuality and gender and stuff like that. And, and he probably lives in a fairly closed, you know, environment in which he doesn't expose himself to those things because, you know, that might just be who he is. Um, so I just sort of feel sorry for him, really. But the problem is this, you know, this was would have been, this could have been a very small game that nobody noticed, that never yeah. blew up. But because of various factors with media coverage, you know, and getting exposed, the game has blown up. And because of that, it's, he's a victim of his own success. You know, RPS are digging into things and checking things out and other people are looking at it way closer than he ever thought was going to happen. Um, so due to all of those factors, he's, you know, the question is, how is he going to respond to this? Is he responding to it? Um, is he going to make any changes? Or is he going to dig his heels in, you know? So yeah. that's what will show him as the kind of character he really is. I mean, certainly so far, his response to the controversy has been fairly defensive. Um, so that was kind of... Do you know what I mean? Like, I could easily imagine, I could honestly imagine me making similar decisions to him because when you make a video game, you have to crudely simplify in lots of ways under the bonnet and you sort of hope players will notice just how crudely you've done it. But when someone says, hang on, this is kind of bad, I feel like I would respond to that by saying, oh, shit, yeah, you're right. I did not intend for my player base to be mass murdering gay people on the battlefields. I will address that. And what Tynan's done is sort of said, oh, yeah, I'll fix it eventually. Like, it's not a big problem. And you go, eh, it sort of is a bit, mate. Like, <laughs> don't know, do you think, but like, we'll see. What bothers me about that is that, from what you're saying, gay men are undermining the quality of the game, but lesbians the way they've been implemented that works right so if he'd just done them yes. the same that's true that is that is a thing that is a concern yes and also i point out in my video that one of the things it brought to mind for me was that a few years back there was a lot of debate about whether we should have homosexual soldiers and the the argument back was always like this kind of sort of muttered thing oh well you know morale it'll be bad for morale we can't have gays in the military it's bad for morale well in RimWorld, literally gays are bad for morale <laughs> They they affect the mood of your colony, and it felt like that's interesting that you've kind of accidentally enacted the truth of a fairly right wing position. I don't know; it just bothered me. 
and it continues to bother me and it's sort of affecting my feelings about the game. Well, yeah, it sounds like it must be deliberate and to the detriment of his own game. Mm. Well, I think I think this is deliberate in the fact that he coded it and wrote the code. But you you yeah. have to ask yourself his intent behind that. I don't think he was like, "Ha ha, fuck the gays." It was more likely that he was probably just that's how he thinks. Mm. Uh, and people that aren't shown the error in how they think aren't educated, you know, in a modern way, they're not going to know any better. Uh, that's not a defense. That's that's the same thing as like saying, you know, you broke, you you might have broken a law or committed a crime, and your defense is that I didn't know it was a crime. Well, that doesn't yeah. that doesn't hold up. Obviously, you've still done the thing, mm. but at the same time, like I said, this wouldn't have been exposed as widely. It's still wrong, no doubt about it. It's still wrong, and he needs he should fix it because the game is now obviously huge, and lots of young people are playing it and seeing this as an example of maybe mm. how to treat homosexuals, which is not what we want, is it? Uh, no. Not any, you know, sensible, you know, individual would think that was okay. But, um, yeah, he should fix it. And it's a shame that if he's if he's just being like, no, it's, no, not a problem. Um, yeah, it's not great. It's not great. But you've just no. got to look at other other responses. I mean, um, I, don't know, I didn't put it in the news story, but I thought it was interesting. I'm sure you guys heard about the fake tweet that came from Hello Games. About yes, Man's I heard story. about this. This yeah. was very now, interesting. This, this was interesting. I only mention it right now because it, it comes to mind this idea of how small studios deal with the pressure from communities when their game maybe is bigger or taken in a way that they didn't intend. And, you know, Hello Games' response to what happened with No Man's Sky was and has and is still silence. So when a, I suppose a disgruntled employee um, hacked their Twitter account and their email account and basically tweeted that No Man's Sky was a mistake and then followed up email inquiries from like Polygon and stuff saying, yep, that's right. We, we, we think it was a mistake. <laughs> it was, it was yeah, badly handled, uh, which is what a lot of us are thinking. But, you know, Hello Games haven't responded. So it, it's another thing of like digging there. Is this the problem is with no communication? It can it can be interpreted in so many ways, can't it? It can be interpreted as them digging their heels and it can be interpreted them as, you know, they're quietly hidden away trying to fix things, trying to, you know, maybe bring that level of game that was promised somehow via patches. Uh, we don't know what they're doing. We don't know what they're doing. So. And, I, and I'm, I'm being careful because I don't know if this is libelous, but do we believe their Twitter and emails were hacked? Because I have to say... <laughs> I think, like, when someone famous tweets something that's, like, obviously a sort of joke, the hacking question is that someone's guessed their password. Like, that's how it happens. So someone either guessed his password. Like, I don't know, I, it doesn't well, seem out of the question to me that he's under tremendous psychological yeah. pressure right now. Yeah. I could easily imagine a tweet being sent out and then a backup email and then the rest of the studio get to him and say, please shut up now, stop doing it's, that. Um, Sean Murray, a retraction, yeah, yeah, Sean Murray. If you need a retraction, the best one in the world is oh, I never said that it was hacked. It was all hacked. No, you're, you're. I wouldn't say it was libelous because there's definite reason to believe that's a possibility. Um, I mean, yeah, and and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have held it against him. No, I mean, you know, I really I, wouldn't have. I, I, I would have totally understood when I first heard about this tweet before the, you know, the hacking excuse came out. I just felt bad for him. Yeah, I just I felt really, really bad for him. For him. Yeah, worried because it, because yeah, yeah, and the, and the studio and all their livelihoods and everything because it's like yeah, you guys made this choice to get into bed with Sony because of their their bankroll, right? Yeah. They're going to do this amazing marketing campaign and they did a too good job with the marketing because they made it up. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like you chose that and you, you've got this huge exposure. You're this tiny studio. And I think it's quite possible you're never going to shake this negativity now. You're no, never going to get rid of it. It's a problem. Uh, and it will, it will be a stink on that studio for the rest of its existence, which makes me think it won't exist for much longer. Um, it's a shame they aren't communicating. I, you know, personally, I would have said get out in front of it, you know, work the message and stuff like that, spin it as best as you can. But they've chosen silence, and silence leads to even more frustration, doesn't it? Um, and the amount, I mean, there was that thing, was it, a couple of weeks ago, that the guy who had set up the No Man's Sky subreddit had closed it because it had become such a hive of just hate and despondency that he was like, this is never what I wanted this to be. I'm shutting it down. Um, so I thought that was that was an interesting reaction. You know, yeah, the, guy, the guy who was the hate monger, like, whoa, no, too much hate. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like, wow, it must have got real bad in there. Um, but it, ah, I, I just hope they're okay, you know? It's Gil- Is it Guildford for them as well? I can't remember where they are. That was Lion's, Lionhead, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I don't um, know. But I hope they're doing all right, uh, Sean Murray in particular. But, uh, yeah, we'll see, I guess. I think you know, one day that'll be a very interesting story. I mean, even yeah. in, like, yeah. just my own experiences of developing games where players will sometimes ask you questions about features in the game. And it's like, basically, if you're going to answer truthfully, no feature is ever in any game. Like, everything a game does is bullshit to some extent. That's all... If you saw, like, if you could pull the camera out on a game of Grand Theft Auto V and see what the rest of the city looks like, apart from the one block that's on screen right now, you would see a million hacks and bodges and you would entirely shatter the illusion of a living, breathing city. And so when someone asks the developers of Grand Theft Auto V, like, so, like, you know, do people just, like, walk around and do their daily business and have, like, jobs and go to everywhere? Of course they're going to say yes, because the truth... The truth destroys the illusion for the player and makes their experience worse. So even like on some of the more overt kind of fibs that were told, with maybe the exception of the multiplayer one, because that was just fucking stupid. They should never have said that. But like for some of it, I understand why you would say what they said. And it's become this, like you said, too big, too fast, and a small team who are being charged with delivering the entire universe in a one gig install and it was just never going to fucking happen like no nope. feel bad for um as i'd say as almost as a direct reaction to this uh did you hear the news from steam that they are banning bull shots from um oh, yes. from, the, from steam page you can only have genuine screenshots from within the game no concept art no target art no pre-renders it's it's only going to be allowed to be actual genuine screenshots and that even yeah. applies to some of their own games because they had stuff up like um you know that wasn't legit so i think that's a positive step you know towards absolutely these problems um that, that you know consumers feel cheated um but at the same time do a little bit of legwork just a little bit of legwork and you'll realize that what you were hoping for was never gonna happen but there you go um but hey Fingers crossed to them that they, they come out of this. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops and how this RimWorld stuff develops, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Um, I can't remember if there was... I don't know if there was anything else sort of worth discussing from the last couple of weeks. We got a, we got a little bit about Nintendo Switch, didn't we? Um, about that it is a capacitive multi-touch screen on the device. Mm. Is that confirmed now, is it? I, I believe it was. I've not seen it from the horse's mouth. So. I, no, I believe I believe it was confirmed okay. by Nintendo. I could be wrong, but the, I've certainly I'm pretty sure I heard that um, that it will be a multi-touch device. Yes, 
So I think that's that's interesting. I think I think what the way that's going more and more is that there will be mobile games, and then there will be the home games, and it won't. And only a few, I suspect, the Nintendo first party games will be both, um, and they will just have a split. They will just have a split in their marketplace, um, and that's I'm from with that. I think that's fine. What do you guys think? It seems odd. I mean, because at that point, it almost feels like they are in danger of releasing a product here that might start to, like, compete against some of their own other products. I mean, if they, you know, if this thing has essentially, instead of being that vision of playing my game at home, take it with me on the bus. If it becomes play the game at home, then take the console on the bus so I can play handheld games on the bus, which, you know, certainly addresses some of my concerns about the pitching and the tone of, like, how games operate in different spaces. Still, though, then you are kind of saying... You know, do you want a GBA or, or uh, you know, DS 3D, 3D DS, or do you want this new handheld instead? Like, yeah, but, the, but the but the, their intention will be to fold the 3DS. I mean, that they've said that they're gonna the the, the switch the 3DS will I EOL. Know, I don't know if they have said that, but I'm no, sure, I'm sure they're, that's they're their intention. Eventually. Yeah, they'll see how it goes. But I, I, if the switch launches and it does well, 3DS will be done in a year. Because well, Nintendo, suspect, suspect Nintendo been, don't mess around killing hardware. The 3DS so, has been around for five years, so it's, sure. it's, it's not exactly fresh. It's no, be reaching the end of its life. All right. Are they going to replace it with another straight handheld? There's no market for that, no. which is where the Switch comes in. Yeah, uh, it makes sense. Actually. The 3DS will die naturally. Um, but there'll still be something there that well, is viable in the market. They've just stopped production of the Wii U, haven't they? As well. That just came out as well in the last week. I think Friday, supposedly the last one came off the production line. That was the that wasn't one hundred percent confirmed, but it was the biggest story is that they were still making them. <laughs> what did I saw? A total unit sold um, to consumer was like thirteen million, um, which is incredibly low if you think about that in comparison to the PS4, which has just hit like forty-seven million, um, and has been around less time. So that's that's crazy. That did not do well for them. Yeah, so gotta say it's it's the, it's the only console that's been released from any of the big three in a decade or more, which it simply never crossed my mind to buy Same. one. I Same didn't here. consider it for a second. <laughs> I think occasionally I saw them in a deal and I went, I quite like to play that and that and that, and then I realised those three or four games that I thought of were the only three or four games I'd be interested in playing. And so, what's the point? It's just not. It's just not viable, is it, for that? No. But uh, yeah, I'm excited about Switch, and obviously there'll be news. They announced, didn't they? Early January is their big blowout conference demo of the whole thing, and they're going to show and announce everything about it, and the games lineup, and the specs, and all of that. The they've dated, they've exactly dated that. Mm. Sorry, the price as well, the exact. Yeah, 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 yeah. So all of that. Exactly, by the way. Am I, am I no, right? you're no, gonna, you're I would. Good. I would have said if you sounded like shit again. I promise. I promise. Um, but yeah, so that's. There's a bit more news than I actually anticipated in the last couple of weeks, though, I guess, just off the top of my head. Um, do you guys think of anything else you wanted to bring up? Or we'll move on to games that you've been playing. Nope. I got nothing else, really. Richard, you, play, you played an exciting retro horror game, didn't you? You loved this. This was, like, your favourite <laughs> game. You're pulling such a face right now. <laughs> yeah. People, people are going to be lost on the audio version entirely. But um, yeah, you played Claire, the extended cut. I played Claire. Um, I hope I have Claire talked about you? this 
already? I haven't, have I? I, I can't remember. None of us can remember you talking about it, so... <laughs> it's not in the show notes. It's not in the show notes for the last episode, but it was a okay. while ago, yeah. Yeah, well, it was a couple of weeks ago I did the review, so that was probably mm. just after uh, we recorded last time. Claire is a 2D side-scrolling adventure horror experience. Um, it's all like pixelated old-school graphics. You play a girl called Claire, surprisingly, and she starts off in a hospital visiting her sick mother and then things go weird and it's a bit like silent hill with everything going dark things shuffling around in the corridors and you're supposed to try and figure out what's going on don't think i ever really did um i hated every second of it but still finished it because i'm i'm that dedicated and did you get a thousand no no i didn't you didn't. No, not that dedicated. <laughs> <laughs> I just know what you're like. I thought you got. I thought you would have got a thousand. I had a feeling yeah. you would have got a thousand. Oh, but do you remember when Silent Hill came out? What, fifteen years ago, maybe more? And <laughs> you kind of liked how dark everything was, and it was kind of creepy because you couldn't see what was going on. Um, this tries to do that, but literally, you cannot see what is going on. Um. The fact that it's so pixelated in some sort of style choice, I guess, or they just couldn't be bothered to do decent artwork. Um, and the lighting is absolutely terrible, so you can't see anything on screen. You'll manoeuvre this poor girl across um, lateral planes, and you'll suddenly hear a slicing noise. Don't know what it is, but you die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Beware the slicing. Yeah, so that happens. I think there's something in the shadows, but you can't really tell what's going on. Um, and that's just a lesson for next time to maybe run past that bit or try and hide in the cupboard and go through a different door. But that's the biggest problem is the is the doors because <laughs> it's, a, it's a 2D game, right? Yeah. But it's a 3D environment. So imagine Fez, but Fez turned around so you could see what the perspective had changed from and to, right? Yeah. This, it's just a 2D corridor. There's a door at the back, door at the end, um, maybe a door in front of you. And depending on which one you go through, you'll end up in a different 3D space, but it's only sort of shown in 2D. So what this means is on the map, walking right might mean you're walking left. It might mean you're walking south or north. Oh, um, you have to go into the map every time you walk to, to figure out which direction you're going in and hope that you've not been there before. The map kindly sort of colours in where you've been, but it, it's kind of... What was that game where you had to colour stuff in on the 2D grid and a picture appears in the background? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like that, but if you had to play it um, sort of two steps removed via a really shitty platform game rip off of Silent Hill. And it's mm. just horrible all the way through. Horrible to control. Um, kind of a pointless story. Kills you for no reason. And I hate it every second. Don't buy that's it. Cool. Sounds great. I'll rush to Steam Ooh. to buy it right now. <laughs> Jesus, that sounded... I didn't... Re I mean, I saw some video of it and I read your review and stuff, but I don't think I understood quite how awful that navigation was. So, so bad. Just explain it. Yeah, that does sound really bad. That does sound 
awful. Ah, Jesus Christ. Um, talking of navigation, Richard, how are you yeah. finding getting around the, the, the fields and meadows and farmland of the exciting sequel to last year's hit that was Farming Simulator 2016? You're playing Farmulator, Farming Simulator 2017. Farm I'm guessing with though, all yeah. the... Le- yeah, Farmulator would actually be a good name. That would be a good name. Um, with all the latest tractor tech, combine um, yeah. combinations and other such exciting innovations in farming world. Tell you what, are you not, 20, not thrilled? It's come on since 2015. It is. I, I don't know. Can you can you is. can you tell me about your the the most advanced hoe you've got? I don't think there's is any it? hoes. Um, no, how, how can there be no hoes in a farming got, game? Because it's all vehicles, isn't it? It's all vehicles. I've got two chainsaws though. And, oh right, dual um, wielding. So you dual wielding chainsaws. <laughs> Double, one in each arm. You're like fucking Ash from the Evil Dead. Just chainsaws. You joke, but this was my dream of trying to redeem some excitement from the endeavor. But the um, the the most I've done so far, to be honest, is cut down a load of trees, um, which is where I started with the last one I played two years ago. Because that's fun, right? Having chainsaws and chopping trees down. Sounds strangely Um, relaxing. Yeah, it's quite good, but. Uh, well, it, it's more just to ruin the town because there's people knocking about doing their shopping and driving down the roads. And it's quite fun to just topple trees over their route <laughs> rather than do any farming. Like a, like a real farm. Yeah. But in this version, two years after the last one I played, you chop a tree down. Don't, it doesn't topple. <laughs> it just stays yeah. there, right? So <laughs> you chopped, you can, you, what, you ha- what you can do is angle your chainsaw to make it uh, topple in different directions. And sometimes that works. Other times, it must be like some samurai shit. Of, I don't know. But you'll, you'll cut through the, the tree, and it will just stay there. You've definitely cut it, but it will just stay there. <laughs> I think what it is, is they've, they've looked at the data about the amount of people cutting down trees in a, an abusive manner, like you were. And they've <laughs> gone, fuck it. that. We're going to prevent that. Because that's not what a real farmer does. A real farmer... <laughs> No. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what a real farmer does. A real time. farmer will cut down a tree, and because it doesn't fall over, he will run at it head first five times to see if that knocks it over. That's what a real farmer does. <laughs> and sometimes I, I, that works. Okay. But, yeah, I'm not, I'm not impressed with the tree cutting in this so far. I feel like this is a minor element of farming simulator. How, 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 how's, 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 how's the favourite bit of the, of the game? Can you sow some good shit? Can you can you have cattle? Like you can have cattle. You can breed cows, sheep, chickens. Cow tipping. Cow tipping. I don't know if you can do that, but you can pick up the eggs from the chickens. You can get all sorts of different farming machinery, and there's loads more brands than last time. And there's, there's probably at least three brands in the original. I thought, where's that brand of tractor? I really want that one. So I'm glad that's in there this time. But the, the, the Formulator 4000 EX edition is an amazing tracker, tractor. Everybody knows that. Tracula. Have they got that one? <laughs> yeah, Tracula. Count Tracula. There's, <laughs> there's a name for a tractor as well. I like that. Count Tracula. I want to oh. sow your seeds. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying this is actually worse than last year's farming simulator? I think it is so far. Yeah, it seems to have more stuff. Um, the thing that makes me really angry about it is because I accepted this to review on the basis that I could write an entire Brexit thing about um, how farmers <laughs> aren't going to get any subsidies. 
and maybe this is deliberate. There's no British farms in it. <laughs> what? I so, feel like that's a, where are the farms set? What, where are you farming? I think one in America and one in Ukraine, and that's well, that's yeah. what you get. So, yeah, I can't do a Brexit thing, sadly. They don't even have farms in America. What are you talking about? That's crazy. No, they do. They got all GM crops and whatever, aren't they? Okay. God, don't have farms in America. Good grief. That was a joke. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I, I feel bad for this game. I have a warmth in my heart for people who are into farming simulators. I think it's a lovely, weird little niche that I have tremendous respect for. I really Do you know anyone to... who likes them? I, don't I used to know a guy who was obsessed with them. What Absolutely obsessed. He was a uh, like lead programmer on a bunch of um, games I worked with. Like, no, he used to go home and he said, basically, what's great is, you know, if you want to play something, but you yeah. don't really want to play anything, like you just kind of want to just zone out and yeah. burn six hours of your life. Yeah. And maybe just have the telly on and listen to it. Yeah. And not be stressed at any point by anything in a game where you can never fail or even really be bad at it and just sink your time into just this gradual progression. And every now and again, just stand there and think, Look at all this stuff I've done. I That's get what it that. is. I get that, right? But you know what that is? That's Animal Crossing. And Animal Crossing gets away with it because although it is just simulating jobs, it's got animals with faces on them and voices. <laughs> and that's nice. This has got a Lamborghini tractor. And you think, well, unless I'm a farmer that really, really wants a Lamborghini tractor, there's no appeal. <laughs> Who wants this? Is it in sexy yellow? I think it's blue. Like what the fuck, blue. man? It's like, why would you want a Lamborghini tractor in blue? That's ridiculous. You want it in yellow, like, you know. No, you have blue ones. Like the Italian police had uh, blue Lamborghinis, didn't they? Well, back did they? Yeah, they did. Oh, well. I just think it's, you know. It reminds me of, I used to be really fascinated with, there was a whole community on the internet who were playing flight simulators, but they were playing flight simulators flying like domestic passenger planes rather than, you know, war planes or anything exciting. Yeah. And there was a bunch of people who were literally spending hours every night being air traffic control in this worldwide persistent like MMO simulation of international flight paths. Like, and, and to become an air traffic controller, you had to pass fucking exams. And they really, <laughs> they took it seriously. And if you went on there one night drunk and just decided to crash two planes into each other for a laugh, like you were sacked and you weren't allowed in their simulation anymore. They took it deadly serious. And for about three years, they ran a full spectrum simulation of international passenger flights. And I kind of love that. I think that's a wonderful thing for those people to do. I mean, probably they should get out more, but like, it's yeah. awesome. But it's kind of the thing that where you, you can appreciate that from afar. It's like speed running games. I get I suppose that's so. a skill, yeah. but I don't want to do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> The um, the other thing I heard about the other the other day, I saw an article. I can't remember. It might have been um, on Waypoint, the new gaming channel, on, on Vice or something like that. But it was one of those types, maybe Polygon, talking about uh, mature streamers and how there's a whole sort of subculture on mm. Twitch, which is based around people streaming simulation games. You know, in a very serious, mature kind of you know way, like be it like Euro Truck Simulator or Farming Simulator or. Anything I like that, watched, and there's a huge, huge amount of interest. Basically. I watched about half an hour of someone playing, um, it was some sort of German 
passenger bus simulator and you just drive a route and pick up passengers and issue fares and have to like there's a whole bunch of controls for operating the ticket machine and yeah he was playing it it wasn't like i assumed he was playing it to kind of go lols and you know drive the bus off a cliff or something he was dead straight man he might as well have had a little hat on as a bus driver he was <laughs> just talking you know <laughs> I think that's kind of. I think it's cool. The, the whole the interest in simulation games, which revolve around banal aspects or careers of, of just normal life, are interesting because that you know people people look like oh I wonder how it is yeah. working on the docks you know in in a shipyard with shipping yeah. containers and stuff. I wonder what that's like, and I've seen that there is a game for that. You know, so you can you can move boxes onto boats yeah. with a forklift truck, and it's like why you know. It's. I guess it's just that curiosity. Would be really fun, though, I, I, I think that with the, the big crane and lining them up, mm. I reckon that'd be quite fun. Yeah. There are some jobs that would be okay, but I don't know. Farming simulator seems like a lot of work. There's so <laughs> much to do. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think if, you, if, you, if you kind of know that you're into farming simulators, you don't need me to tell you that it's good or not. You're just going to get it anyway, aren't you? Yeah, of course. Cool. That's, a sh- that's a short review then. I can't wait to see that when you put that one up on the then. Like you're a farmer. All right, there you are. <laughs> Come by, lads. Carry on. There you go. So, talking of games that are in no way related to farming, but for some people just as tedious, Adam has been playing, because I only <laughs> ever give these to Adam, because that's the only type of genre of game I ever find for Adam. They are point-and-click adventure games. Yes. But, but... He, pre- he previewed what may well be a very good one. Yes, I did. So I played Little Acre, and it was set as a preview build, and there was an email with it that said, don't talk about the game beyond this point. So I didn't. But the game up to that point is bloody lovely. I was astonished. I didn't think good point-and-clicks existed anymore, but this is actually a good one. Um, hey. Mostly it's good because it's got good writing. Like That is the key thing I'm discovering as I play more and more point-and-click games. It is all about the writing. And can you put believable human phrases into the mouths of your characters? You know, um, Little Acre is just lovely. You're, you're, it's, it's the story of um, a sort of young man and his, um, I probably work out the relationship to him. Yeah, he's his daughter. And his, the young man's father has gone missing, so the daughter's grandfather. And they're just trying to work out where he's gone. And he was an inventor and he's got a shed full of mysterious contraptions. So you can probably guess somewhere to which the narrative is headed but the whole thing just plays out really nicely all the puzzles were relatively logical there was one point at which i got stuck which was purely down to a line of dialogue which says oh i can't open the shed door it's blocked from the other side which means in my head for the next hour i am convinced that door opens inwards and i need some way to get inside the shed and remove the blockage by some other mechanism. And in fact, the answer is to just crowbar the shed door open because it opens outwards. And that annoyed me. But apart from that, that was the only problem I had. Um, All the other puzzles were very logical. Crucially, it's got a fucking answer system. You can just press a button and it says, like if, if you run out of stuff to do, you just go, give me a hint. And it'll just give you a fairly blatant hint. Like I hear there's some interesting things in the shed. And then you go, okay, brilliant. But I don't know how to get in the shed. Solution. Use pump handle on shed door. All right, then. Brilliant. So it literally tells you the answer. If you want it to, it will just tell you the thing to do next. 
this is glorious. I'm sure some gamers will get angry about this system. This system is the best thing I've ever seen in a point-and-click game because it means as soon as you want more story, if you're fed up with trying to solve the puzzle you're on, puzzle gone, more story. Brilliant. Just makes the experience of playing it a joy because the, one of the problems with point-and-clicks in the modern age is you're not going to want to play like Monkey Island for a week. You want to be on a continual forward momentum. You don't... Getting stuck for an hour is just like, what am I doing with my life? I could be playing a game that I wasn't doing nothing with for an hour. Yeah. So you just basically, like, all the puzzles should just offer a couple of minutes of resistance and then just fade away. That's, that's how you want it to be now. And probably now point-and-click games should be completed in a couple of days or a day even, in, in a kind of couple of sessions. Because that just makes, like, sense in terms of pace. I would say that there is a quite a large audience that has a ridiculous level of nostalgia for point and click adventures, mm-hmm. and would probably beat you to death with a shovel for suggesting no, such I'm, heresy. I'm um, sorry, they're just wrong. They're just wrong. Like I know, everybody... I, I'm, I'm in your, I mean, your, I mean, your boat entirely here. But you know, the fact that you know what they've done here in Little Acre is, you know, you don't have to do that. You could bang your head against. Oh the yeah, you could. Um, so I think I think that's that's the smart compromise, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And I, I, one of the proudest phrases I ever wrote into a video review was in my review of um, Detective Hayseed, in which I said, if you look back at the golden era of point and clicks, for every island of monkeys, there was also a bag of dicks. This is absolutely true. If you go back to the Amiga, don't play Monkey Island and Dare the Tentacle. Go and play any of the other point and clicks from that era and see just how terrible this genre was. There were two really great ones, and the rest were abominable. Um, and so, like, it's so nice to see that Laker, which has a lot of the same sort of... It feels special in the way that a Monkey Island or a Day of the Tentacle feels. You know, everything makes sense. It doesn't swamp you in enormous environments straight away. You're always in a very limited set of locations. You kind of know all the tools you've got at your disposal very quickly, and you just use them to put together some fairly simple problem solving. I really enjoyed playing it. Uh, the voice acting is top notch as well. The writing's really charming. When it wants to be funny, it's actually funny. Like, not hilarious, but funny enough that it gets away with it. It's just good. And it's a good story. Like, I was interested. I was interested to know what happened with the characters. I liked discovering more about the family. It was great. great. I really enjoyed playing it. It's also beautiful as well. Oh, absolutely gorgeous to look at. Don Bluth involved in the animation side of it, so it looks like a cartoon just the whole time. It just looks like one of those old kind of like late 80s kids cartoons. It's just lovely. Yeah, yeah it looks stunning. Yeah, I, I'm definitely... And it's out uh, the end of November, uh, November 22nd. Uh, and based on your preview, it sounds like one definitely worth checking out, absolutely. Uh, I can't remember if I saw if it was coming to consoles or not. I don't I remember. think I did see that it is. Certainly the control scheme they've gone for would work on consoles because there's not a lot of like choose you don't choose verbs. It's not like a sort of scum system. It's uh it's much more just trying to click on stuff and you'll do the logical thing with it or pull up an inventory screen and change your cursor to an item and click it on something to do a thing with that item. Like it's all very straightforward. Awesome. But Little Acre wasn't the only point in click adventure game you were looking no, at. No, no it wasn't. And so, so after I reviewed like Little Acre, I sort of had a moment of thinking, God, did I go too far on that review? Like it was nice, but I've made it sound like it's one of the greatest games released in the last century. What am I doing? And then I played Duke Grabowski and immediately thought, No, no, I was right the first time. Little Acre is fantastic because it doesn't do any of the bullshit that this game does. 
um, I made a list of all the problems. So the thing with Duke Grabowski is it's a point and click adventure and it's set in a pirate setting. Now, this is brave, I think. You are inviting the comparison to the greatest point and click adventure ever made. So good luck with that, guys. Um, it starts off good first impressions. You've got a really nice opening cutscene. And oh my God, the game goes downhill from there so fast. It is scary. Uh, your main character, where Guybrush Threepwood, and I'm going to keep making the comparison because they invited it because fucking pirates. Guybrush Threepwood is a really likable, smart, sassy dude. He's funny. You like him. You root for him straight away. He's an underdog. He's great. The main character in this is this guy, Duke Grabowski, who is a big, unlikable, meat-headed, violent kind of ogre of a man. He's dumb as a rock. You have to spend the whole game listening to his dialogue, which is written in this sort of I'm so stupid I can't quite speak English kind of way, but also all written in a kind of piratey dialect. So you'll walk into a bar and you'll talk to the barman and one of your dialogue options is, who be that wench thar? Like, oh, please, no. Don't make me listen to this for hour after hour. Please. God, it's awful. So <laughs> that writing is dreadful. The inventory system, like, they obviously decided that it's kind of nonsense that all these point-and-click uh, main characters can carry vast arrays of enormous things in their pockets. So this time, the inventory system works where every time you see something you can pick up, what you pick up is the memory that that object is there, and it goes into this like, little screen that's all like, idea of the cannon, idea of the rope, idea or whatever. And then when it comes time to use that item, you click on the idea and then click the idea on the place you intend to use the item, and your character walks off screen to go and fetch it. <laughs> Which is fair enough, but it's kind of weird and <laughs> it's weird. Doesn't so but you don't have to like go back necessarily. You, you don't go back with the character to that screen. He just walks no, off. No, he just like back. walks off and fetches it. Sometimes the camera will cut to that screen if he's going to do some funny animation while he picks it up or something. But yeah, don't know why they've done that. Like, just let me put it in my pocket because, like, because realism yeah. is really important. Yeah, in a pirate exactly. Like, like realism world. in a pirate-themed adventure world where the first thing you do is fight a bunch of zombies. Like, I don't care. Just let me pick it up. Does um, it make any more sense that it's within reasonable reach somewhere just off screen? That's not any more. Sensible. Well, no, exactly. It, it's just it's it's <laughs> silly. You sat there looking at the screen. And he walks off for ten minutes, and it's just like, <laughs> yeah. It's quite a long way away. It's going to be a while. As much as they might think that makes more sense, given that often you're using it in kind of, you know, like you fight a battle against zombies and there they are marching towards you and you have to go and fetch a cannon and a rope and everything. So it looks completely preposterous that he goes, (laughs) I've had an idea, I'll use the cannon and just marches off while the zombies just stand there going, that dude's going to come back and shoot us in about five minutes. We should probably just hang around here. Which is cool. Like, it just doesn't work. Um, what else can I complain about? There's a lot to complain about here. It immediately starts you on this huge island with about 20 different locations. There's maybe one interactable object in each location. So, oh God, the shoe leather, the constant walking. And the animations for the walking are not particularly good. I don't particularly enjoy watching them for hours. Um I've ne- like normally I'm a real I, I really love like dialogue trees. I love to talk to characters in games, and I tend to be someone who like rinses every character for every little thing they can say because I want to make sure I'm getting all my content. You know what I mean? 
I've mm. no, this is the first time in a game in ages where I've just gone up to characters, you start to talk to them, and you get a list of six topics you can bring up with them, and I just go straight to, yeah, never mind, bye. Because I just don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Like, I just can't be bothered. This is deeply role-playing the surly pirate there. Well, oh God. Even like, so the opening mission is woo three, you, you've got to prove that you're a swashbuckler so that you can be captain of the ship. And even that feels like something that happened in Monkey Island. Like, um, you were trying to prove you were a pirate by doing the three quests and everything. But, like, so now we've got to woo three women. And surprise, surprise, there's three unattached women in the town, each of whom has a kind of quest that has to be performed. And if you succeed in it, they'll agree to being wooed by you. Which means you spend a lot of time sort of going, oh, what, you, your kids have been uh, uh, kidnapped. Well, if I go and rescue them, will you sleep with me? Like, that's basically what you're doing the whole time, and it's really sinister. <laughs> like, you can call it, I mean, he doesn't say that. He says, like, you know, and then I will seduce you, and it's hilarious because he doesn't know the word seduce, so he says it as seduce. Ha-ha, <laughs> very funny. But still, what he's essentially saying is, yeah, I'll, I'll save the children for sex. Like, <laughs> it's just mis... That's just misjudged. It's just not good. And like you say, yeah. I don't actually know how I'm going to review this because the other thing about point and clicks that makes me hate them is doing video reviews for them is a total pain in the arse because they're completely linear. So if I want to go back now and get footage of the opening of this game, I've got to start a new game and start recording and make it look like I'm trying to solve the puzzles when actually I already know all the answers to them. And uh, it's just really time consuming. It's time consuming. So I might just do like a straight kind of almost like a little 10-minute Let's Play of it where I just talk about all the things in it that are annoying me at any given time, which is a <laughs> lot. It's just horrible. Yeah. Like, That's it's really well made, all good production values, full, fully voiced. They've done their best with it, like they really have, but I just think the core design and particularly, again, the writing is dreadful. Just really dreadful. So, bleh. Hate yeah. Yeah. Hate, hating the experience of playing it. Hate it more than Hate Seed Detective. Well, okay. It moves on to me now, then. Yeah. Of which I don't have a lot of things to talk about that I hate. I do, however, have a lot of things to talk about. Oh, boy. So many games. Uh, where to start? I know what I'll do. So, a small game got re-released onto the current generation of consoles uh, this past week. This tiny little game that sold 20-odd million units um, over the last five years. And that is uh, The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim special edition going for the the attempt there at the longest most annoying title <laughs> currently on consoles um i don't really know like what i did with this was i don't know if you guys saw my video but i decided not to do a standard video review i decided to have like a conversation with my wife about it because the elder scrolls series is uh, was the games with oblivion that really got her into kind of modern gaming after a long gap between being a kid and uh and sort of meeting me and having no choice but to become a gamer, basically. Um, so, yeah, Oblivion was what really got into that. So we just sort of chatted about Skyrim and Oblivion a little bit, um, because this is a game that's been out for five years. Everyone and their grandmother has played this game. So it's kind of like, do I need to you know, review it in a traditional sense? Probably not. Um, it's a giant open-world Elder Scrolls game. You know what you're going to get. There's quests, there's crafting, there's you know loads of customization, there's armor, there's magic, there's bad guys, there's good guys, there's retarded NPCs, there's terrible character models because it's a Bethesda game. You know, it's what you'd expect from Bethesda. Um, so let's talk about the specific, the specific stuff you got in the special edition here. It looks better. Kinda. <laughs> 
Um, I guess <coughs> weird because the first thing you'll notice when you go to one of these re-releases is you go, like, "It looked better than that, didn't it?" The first time, and then you look up a video and go, "Oh no, it looked like shit." But still, this doesn't exactly look like a current generation of hardware kind of release. It's it's got better lighting. It's got um, some better textures, but it's also got really, at times, obviously not improved textures. It's a, it's a weird special edition um, because it's not like they've gone back and tweaked everything. They've gone back and tweaked like 70% of it, 80% of it maybe. Um, it's also got some strange problems specifically on Xbox. Like it's got really low quality audio in places, which they're going to fix. It almost like they forgot to put in the, the special edition audio, which is in the PS4 version and the PC version, but it's like got some really strange problems with clipping still and glitches, but it's an open world game, so forgive it, I guess. Um, you know, it's Skyrim, guys, it's Skyrim. The other big addition is mods. And whereas uh, my wife hates playing it with mods, it just like breaks the game in her mind after trying a few of them. Uh, I, I really like it because it's just like, I know I'm going to just be a god and just own everyone. I'm going to have all the money and all the gear from moment one, and I'm I'm going to just be asshole character and just murder everybody I see, you know? Why not? That's fun, isn't it, for a minute? Um, it's pretty fun, actually, man. I mean, I'm not a Skyrim guy. I did Oblivion to death, and I don't think I'll ever go back. But I, when I saw the mod of Skyrim Dragons that looked like Macho Man Randy Savage, I thought, maybe that's my in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when, the, when, the, when it first launched, and when I predominantly was playing it for the, for the review. There wasn't that many mods available yet, especially not the quirkier ones. One of the most important mods, though, was the unofficial patch, which helps with stability and a lot of just problems and, and issues like that. And I felt like that really improved my experience. The big problem with using mods, though, even one as innocuous as that that does nothing to cheat the game or break the game, is it disables the achievements, yeah. which is a bit of a bummer for a lot of people. Uh, I'm not that bothered about that sort of thing, but it's a shame in a way. Um, no, and I, I popped on last night to see what other mods had showed up, and there's already a lot more. So obviously it takes a little bit of time for the mod creators to move it from the PC version to console version to, to say, you know, certify it for the console version and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, more and more showing up all the time. And they're, they're, beyond just things like cheats and patches, there's like whole swathes of new quests, new story stuff, new um, missions, new characters, new NPCs, new followers, you know, some real stuff that will add is an additive to the experience which is really cool um you know fully voiced fully scored almost expansions you know made just by users and and by people that you know are, are probably using that as a way to get into the industry and stuff like that and get experience it's really cool that there's so much stuff like that and i love that bethesda is doing this with the mod stuff on the console and i i really hope we start to see it from other developers as well it's it's a really cool thing and you know remember there was that controversy where the sony were like no mods allowed on on playstation and then they came back and went, actually, we're going to allow it. Well, they've only kind of gone 25% of the way on PlayStation. Yeah. The, the two big problems that they've done there is they've implemented a, a download cap of a gigabyte uh, of files for the mods in the directory on PS4 compared to the five gigabyte on Xbox One. Um, and the other big thing is that they're not allowing anything that isn't using in-game assets in their mods on PlayStation. So no external uh, textures or any assets of any kind, sound clips, anything, voice, nothing. So you're, gonna, you're just not going to get a lot of that creative stuff I was just talking about on the PlayStation experience, which, which is a real shame, I think. And it's, it's just like, well, why bother then? You're just going to get the cheat stuff, basically. Have and they announced just why they've made that decision? I, mean, I, I, I believe it's, it's just... They've got over their own yeah. security. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a closed ecosystem. 
yeah. thing. You know, they, they want to have control over the content. And Bethesda were basically like, no, no. Uh, I'm surprised they kind of came to that middle ground agreement, to be honest. But I imagine Bethesda were looking at sales and being a bit like, ooh, worried. Um, and in a way, the other big topic of the last couple of weeks that doesn't affect us as much, but I'm going to bring it up now because it's Bethesda specifically. Did you guys see their blog post about early review copies? Of games? Oh, yeah. Yes. yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, I, I, I imagine you guys could not have missed that entirely because everybody, well, I say everybody, the big outlets are all up in arms, the Polygons, the IGNs, the Giant Bombs, you know, these guys are like, oh, it's terrible, it's all this and it's that, it's bad for, it's bad for the consumer because the consumers can't make an informed decision. And I'm just sat there going the whole time like, First of all, if you pre-order games, you're an idiot, right? <laughs> Secondly, if you have uh, if you have any doubts about a game, just wait, yeah. wait for some from reviews. You know, I, I think the slightly dodgy thing that Bethesda is doing here is, it, is they, they've gone out and said um, we're gonna we're doing this because we want it to be a, le- a level playing field for everyone. We're gonna do this so that the reviewers, everybody's playing the game at launch when the servers are up and it's even and it's fair. And then we're still on the slide. Not going to tell you we're doing this, but we're going to send copies to influencers on YouTube and influencers on Twitch, yes. so they can be like, "Oh, right," and, and it comes with a nice little letter that says, "Can you only talk about these things? Can you not talk about the negatives? Can you not make it a review? Can you just be positive?" Um, but it's okay because you've got 10 million subscribers on YouTube, so you know you can have a game two weeks early. But you know, Giant Bomb and I <coughs> and us at BXB, we won't get one until uh, launch uh, if we if, get one at all. If get one at all. Yes. If we're treating YouTube influencers as marketers rather than reviewers. Yes, exactly that, what it is. Yeah. Is that a problem? It's yes. only a problem if they pretend to be anything else other than that, in my mind. Well, it's not even about whether they pretend to be. The problem, I think, is that gamers, the perception of gamers, and I got this a lot when I talked to people at Insomnia and such forth, so it's based on some experience, Reviewers are not trusted. People think the big sites, the IGNs, the Giant Bombs, the Kotakus, they think they're all paid off. They don't trust a word, reviewers say. But that guy on YouTube, he's just te- he's in his bedroom. He's telling you what he really thinks. He's mm. not beholden to any corporate paymasters. I trust him, not the reviewers. <laughs> now, the irony is, like, if, if you could end the pub with two video game reviewers, it is 10 minutes before they're into some deep ethics discussion. Journalists are obsessive about maintaining a high ethical standard. Meanwhile, YouTubers are the most easily influenced bunch of clowns in the world. Most of them are exclusively actively paid off. I happen to know that one of the biggest YouTube collectives, those bedrooms they're playing in are fucking sets in a professional studio. Like, (laughs) it is all horseshit. The whole YouTube industry is fucking paid marketing. <clears throat> but that's yeah. not how gamers see it and that's the problem well it, it, it won't last forever um, people will realise you know because of things like this that you know the YouTubers are just as untrustworthy as the mainstream press but I mean if, if all you want to do is see a game and see some footage and mm-hmm. you know make your own mind up the, the YouTubers to a degree will allow that to happen but you kind of have to ignore what they're saying in a yeah. way I suppose um I, I, I'm, so I was torn about this, this controversy, because it's like we're a small site. We're, I like to think of ourselves as we're obviously not IGN or Polygon, but we're a step above, you know, the kind of easily swayed K 
kid in his bedroom who's just excited to get a free game and therefore will give it, you know, just praise and praise and praise and praise and praise. Because we're a bit old and we've been doing this a long time. Even if we're just doing it on an amateur level and we don't get paid, uh, I like to think that we're, we've got a slightly higher standard. So we're somewhere in the middle there. So I, I, I'm like, well, I rarely get games like weeks early anyway. Uh, and the other thing that's still going to get games early will be uh, printed um, press. You know, magazine coverage, they will still get their games with the months plus lead time because how else will it be in their publication? You know, but, you know, but they're just not going to sort of cut off Edge, are they? Because Edge still has readership. So it's like, you know, they know that's a fairly important uh, market. So this whole post that they made, and they're not the only ones. 2K um, have done the same thing recently as well with no, no games coming out early. Uh, I had, you know, for Mafia and stuff and... and um, um, XCOM 2. So it's like, you know, this seems to be the way the industry is going. And you can't really fault them for it. Publishers hate reviewers, hate critics, because it can genuinely damage pre-orders and sales for them. So why, why, why would you take that risk? You're in a business. You know, you don't, you don't owe anyone. You just want to make money. You've also got to consider there's a lot more games these days that just mm. aren't ready before release day. No, not, not to say that they're not, they're not finished, but unless there's day a lot of playing them, day one patches, but more importantly, multiplayer stuff where you need a community around it. Yeah. Um, you can't review something like that properly beforehand. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to have too much of a lead in on things like that. I think it's funny, though, because people have been, I think, a little bit harder on the Skyrim Special Edition because of this, because people have gone thrown this up and gone, ah, right. Well, it's clear that's why they didn't want people getting this early because it's got this problem and that problem and this problem and they didn't want this hurting reviews. And I'm like, I'm sat there thinking to myself, fuck off. If you were interested in buying Skyrim, you knew you were going to buy Skyrim at launch. You don't care if it's a bit janky. You've played the game already. You're going to buy it. This isn't going to affect your purchasing decision. And to be honest, I, I don't review games. I don't review games as a purchasing thing anymore. I don't... That idea of a review being a purchasing guide, I think, is antiquated. It's not the job of a reviewer to do that, I don't think. It's not, it's not there. It, it's critic, you're being critical of an art form. You're not trying to say, should you spend £50 or should you rent this, like, you know, back 10 years ago. But that, ben, isn't, can, that isn't why I do reviews. Ben, hmm. I don't know if anyone's ever asked this, but can video games be art? <laughs> 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 oh well based on skyrim's new art possibly not um but, but that's exactly the point though isn't it that's the, i think that's the point that i raise in in um opposition to what you've just said is if you want to buy skyrim you if you're interested in knowing what the sort of content of skyrim is what the mechanics are like you know what the how the game plays all that information has been out on the internet for ever and ever and ever skyrim is as old as the hills if you're in the market for buying the new special edition super all singing all dancing skyrim it's because you want to get the upgrades you want better graphics you want better lighting yeah and so i think a day one review for that that says these graphical upgrades ain't all that would be extremely detrimental to sales and would be something that people who might be making a purchasing decision have a right to see like they should know that because you say no one pre-orders games but everyone pre-orders games like right, no, no 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 i'm saying you shouldn't pre-order games you shouldn't pre-order games fine but yeah. pre-order is still a huge part of the market and it's all about day one sales your day one sales are still if you're in in boxed product they're still really important so you it is it is clearly an effort to stop negative reviews from impacting day one sales right it's got to be yeah. that yeah 
Yeah. And in this instance, they are probably trying to prevent the day one sales, the day one purchases from knowing that maybe these graphical updates ain't everything they should be and maybe the game's got some stability issues okay. and it shouldn't let me, have. Let, let me counter this, right? So the, the big thing that they've said here um, is Bethesda in this case have said, you're not getting the games early, right? Up till recently, basically we've been seeing embargo dates are often release date or sometimes the day after anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's that was clearly a decision made to um, you know a, a not to neg to to oh god words going away but to prevent the negative effect yeah an early review would have on the pre-orders right but the so, fact that we're halfway in the shit doesn't mean the shit doesn't stick right <laughs> like. so what I'm saying is maybe maybe what they're saying by by preventing early code going out has a lot to do more than anything with the nature of modern games being so online connected, you know, server-based, multiplayer, you know, yeah, well, stuff totally like that, which won't be up and running properly or, you know, with a proper player base at least until launch. So, it, you know, this is why they said they, for example, delayed Doom. Though I think they really, you know, didn't put new early copies of Doom out because they thought it was going to be a pile of shit and then were massively surprised that it wasn't. But, hey, that's just, that's just me. But, um, you know... The multiplayer aspect, though, wasn't very good. But, you know, I, I think it's interesting, and it's going to be interesting to see how this goes and evolves. I think, basically, yeah, we, it's going to be the way going forward that early code will be rarer and rarer and rarer and rarer. But to our loyal listeners, viewers, and readers, don't make much difference to us, does it? So <laughs> don't worry about it too much. But I think from a from an academic point of view and from a sort of a, an ethical point of view it is it is interesting it is interesting if it, if it goes any way to dispelling that idea that you've got to have stuff day one then it's probably good news right i, I would rather we had a culture where yeah no that's true pick up games when you know when we want to play them rather what yeah I've, what, I've, what I've, other I've what other media do you pre-order what other no media gets it. pre-ordered no one else does this do they but anything else no, i've true. got a backlog of games going back years that i've bought because i i really wanted it but i know i didn't have time to play it i could have waited till now and got it yeah. for five quid or instead of 50 you know so if we can do anything to dispel that culture and just make it a much more sensible uh, consumer experience then fine i don't mind if it's a, if it's late code but, but the problem with that is going to be that that really damages your marketing strategy because marketing strategy is all about building up to a single event, which is the release. It's very difficult to market a game for sales across the next three months. But but video game marketing is changing anyway because look at how um, publishers and developers are moving away from E3 and things like that. You know the marketing situation of the of pushing for certain launches and pushing for certain events it is changing in the industry. So, uh, yeah. so may, maybe maybe that will chill the fuck out as well because it's ridiculous. I mean, anyway. there's a much longer conversation to be had there about marketing. Yes. The, the tail has been wagging the dog on that front for years and years and years. Like, marketing runs the industry rather than the industry going to marketing to sell its product. It's ridiculous. But there's so much bullshit, isn't there? It's like, how about how um, developers that have worked for certain developers and a game that maybe never got released, you can't even put it on your CV due to no. all the secrecy and bullshit around the development of, of video games that, again, happens in no other industry. Uh, in the entertainment world it's absolutely bizarre to me and there's lots of things we can talk about but we're not going to do that because i've still got a lot to talk about i have played in the last two weeks all the shooters guys all <laughs> the shooters and i think they shoot all the men i'm, I'm having some problems because i think they were blending together into one in my brain no. so I, i'm fairly certain there were mechs in world war one and then possibly there were some spaceships as well 
I'm getting I'm getting very confused, but hopefully we can sort that out. Okay, so I'm going to talk about all of these kind of in one go because they're all kind of weirdly connected as well, strangely. So we've got Battlefield 1 was released about two weeks ago, and that's EA's uh, big shooter Battlefield game set in World War One. A week after that, we had Titanfall 2, which is EA's game made by the ex-Infinity War uh, staff who, who created Call of Duty, now created Titanfall under the banner of Respawn. And then this week, we had the new Infinity Wars Call of Duty game, Infinity War, which is their space set Call of Duty game, which is strangely similar to Titanfall, considering it's not been made by the guys that started Modern Warfare, who now make Titanfall. Plus, there were some tweets. Oi, Infinite Warfare. I know, I already said (laughs) Infinite Warfare. You said Infinity War. Did I? Oh, Infinity War to the the developer, and Infinite Warfare is the, the Call of Duty, yes. It's close enough. It's all the same. They're all the same. Right. Uh, Battlefield 1. Battlefield 1. It's fucking excellent, guys. Like, seriously. Um, I'm not going to spend 10 minutes talking about it like I did on my, in my review. Um, but basically, it is the best Battlefield game this generation. It's the most stable Battlefield game this generation in my player. It has the best story in any Battlefield game possibly ever, but at least since Bad Company. Um it's it's excellent. What they've done by setting this things back into into World War One is they've made the action, the combat, much more immediate. You feel like you're much in the center of the experience rather than say being um, pulled out with some of the more advanced tech you got in like the Battlefield Four games or Hardline. Uh, it feels yeah visceral, violent, gritty, nasty, and exciting at all times. The story is really cool because it's got these like this vignette structure where there are these four or five separate little mini campaigns, each of which focusing on a different front uh, in World War One with a different set of characters um, that really kind of... I don't have a huge amount of knowledge uh, of World War One, uh, especially not beyond uh, the Western Front, um, you know, the European sort of field of, of conflict. So when, I'm, when we're going into the Alps and stuff and dealing with the Italian side of things, or when we're going out into the, the deserts and dealing with, like, Lawrence of Arabia and shit like that, I was like, this is some, this is some crazy stuff. And the way they do with some of these things, they, they have the, most of these vignettes have a framed narrative device. So you've got um, somebody, like, narrating it and telling the story of what happened, usually from a removed point of view. And then in one case, it's, it's an unreliable narrator. So it's a guy who basically admits to being a liar and a thief and a cheat who's bigging up his involvement in the in the whole of World War One and, and, and what went on as a flying ace. It's brilliant. It's it's nice. absolutely it's so creative. You could kind of see the the, the, the sort of the beginnings of this uh, in the Battlefront game in Star Wars where they were trying to do more con, kind of contextual storytelling, you know, because there wasn't a campaign in Battlefront. But, you know, they sort of brought that idea of of this kind of looser storytelling aspect, but, you know, really tied it together nicely with this fun, engaging, but also it feels historically accurate at times. I mean, they, they really deal with the immediacy and the threat of death in, in, in World War One. They, they get this thing, whenever you die, it comes up with your name and a born and death date. It really hammers home kind of the, the dangers of that conflict. And I think they do a really good job of respecting it. Uh, and I was quite impressed how well it well it handles it. And it's not like, you know, arcadey and over the top and just, you know, hoorah. It's very gritty and grounded and, and has a lot of personal cost and a lot of damaged individuals that come out of it in these stories. Really, really cool. 
I thought it was interesting because obviously this was a concern I'd voiced in the past that World War One's maybe not the best conflict to use for your action video game. Um, it does seem from what I've seen of like footage of the game and everything that they've actually really got the balance right. Um, no one's yeah. sent their marketing department the memo though because their marketing department <laughs> that has been a fucking disgrace. <laughs> yeah, I saw some of that. Um, it's a real shame because it's their, it's their forward-facing element. You know, it's yeah, the yeah. interacting with the community. Guys, get on fucking message. You know, what the fuck are you doing? And then, you know, EA again stepped their foot in it. The official Titanfall Twitter account, for example, being like really adversarial towards the Call of Duty developers, uh, Infinity Ward, about, about the newest Call of Duty and like really slagging them off. And then the official Respawn Twitter, the developers of Titanfall, come out and go, no, we, we send them, you know, the best of luck yeah. and uh, much love. This, is, this doesn't reflect how we feel at all. You know, so you've got these entities within EA actually kind of battling each other. It, that was completely bizarre. That little but, Twitter wall. Very strange. What is going on? Um, but yeah, it just, yeah, somebody needs to control social media a bit better there. But that doesn't take it any away from, from Battlefield 1 being truly excellent. Um, truly, truly excellent. Easy five stars for me because it's the pinnacle of, of Battlefield that I've, I've played. Uh, I didn't have a huge amount of experience with 42 or the early stuff. Um, or 2142, but I, I really, you know, I've played all the modern ones on the 360 and all the ones on, on Xbox One, and, the, and this is the best one. This is the best mm. one. Easy. Um, it, it's, yeah, the multiplayer, nothing is quite as awesome as 32 on 32 Battlefield multiplayer. You just never know what's going to happen. It, you, you literally will be running along, you'll be chasing a guy, and then a plane will fall out of the sky and kill the guy in front of you in a ball of fire and then you'll jump through it as the wreckage comes towards you and survive. You know, it's like you can't script it. It's so cool. I mean, that's what happens when you have that many players in that kind of a setting, and you have just enough freedom within the mechanics and the environment to just let things happen and, and trust in your systems. And, and it just it's just fucking awesome, man. Like, seriously cool. Um, and just so many emergent moments. You're just like, yeah, record that, record that, screenshot, screenshot. I want, I'm keeping that one. That's... You know, there's so much of that. So, so cool. Um, you guys got any questions? Anything you wanted to ask me about Battlefield or anything like that? No, no. no, no. Only an observation, really, that I nearly bought it this week and the premium pass put me off. I, I did buckle when the three, when the Xbox One came out on Battlefield 4 and I bought the lot and it cost a fortune. And it was yeah. broken for months. And it was broken um, for months. But seeing yeah. a... A, a shooter costs a, upwards of a hundred pounds if you buy the most expensive version. It just turns me right off. So I'm out until probably next year when they, they release a cheaper version with all the maps. Um, so as, as good as it is, their marketing's killed it for me. For the well, I, I know instead you bought Titanfall Two, which did. isn't a bad choice. Now this is <laughs> this is an interesting thing, right? So Battlefield Battlefield One, excellent game, five stars. Titanfall Two. Excellent game, five stars. I'm, I'm just going to spoil my review immediately there. A week after Battlefield 1 comes out, EA releases another top-of-the-draw, absolutely impeccably polished, fantastic shooter experience. And yet, from my anecdotal evidence of just looking at player numbers in the multiplayer, um, nobody's playing Timefall 2. It's abs it's, I mean, I wouldn't say no, I mean, nobody's harsh, but at one point when I was capturing footage um, for the review, I searched in a game type. This is using, using the London data center. I, so you know, I don't know what it's like on the East Coast or West Coast, but it was about half past six in the evening. So, you know, fairly peak time. 
And I went into a free-for-all um, game type, which is basically, um, you know, a free-for-all, you know, deathmatch type game. And there were 17 people playing. Oof. One seven. There wasn't enough people playing to support two full games. Right? Because it's a 12-player game type. So that's insane. This is a game that's been out for about a week. And there were 17 people playing in one. Okay, uh, fair enough. This isn't their most popular game type. The other ones I've noticed for very low population counts are things like CTF modes and stuff like that as well. Um, but, you know, even in even in the big game types, it's still only like 10,000-ish. 10, 10, you know, 11,000, 12,000, 13,000, stuff like that. Low numbers. Very, very low numbers for a game like this. And this is EA's fault. For whatever reason, they've sent... It seems like... It seems like they've sent Titanfall to die, at least for this in this season, for whatever reason at this time of year. Titanfall 1 came out in 2014 in March, and it was a huge success. It was up against very little competition, and even though it was only on Xbox One, its first week sales were higher than Titanfall 2's first week sales, which were was a multi-platform game, right? Across PS4 and stuff like that. In the UK, anyway. I don't have numbers for the US, but the UK numbers seem to show that. Um, it's such a shame. Titanfall 2 is such a surprise. I mean, you know, we played Titanfall 1. We know one thing here. Respawn gets locomotion. They get character movement. The polish uh, on the way your character, the pi your pilot, moves around the battlefield from sprinting to wall running to sliding to sprinting again to double jumping to wall running to sliding to shooting to killing to dodging to move. It's just fantastic. It is tuned to perfection. I have never played a game that feels... You know, I played Mirror's Edge Catalyst, right, which is a first-person parkour game. Timefall 2 has better parkour than Mirror's Edge Catalyst does. It feels funny you say that. I felt the same playing it today. Yeah, because yeah, I, I played really a lot does. of Catalyst, and I thought, yeah. hang on, they've outdone Mirror's Edge. At the, <laughs> that's amazing that they've done so well. It's also, it's, it's also interesting if you think about it as well, right? Mirror's Edge is dice. So DICE using the Frostbite engine. Battlefield 1, amazing, stunning-looking game. Looks better than Titanfall 2, right? It, it definitely looks better. Uh, that's using DICE's engine as well, uh, Frostbite. Titanfall 2, it's not. I believe Respawn's engine is a heavily modified uh, id tech engine, from what I remember, um, but I'd, I'd have to check. But, it, you know, so sometimes it doesn't look as amazing as Battlefield, but it's not really trying to do the same kind of scope in its single-player anyway. It's actually a much more um, tighter in sort of a situation. Uh, so let's talk about single player, right? What did we all miss in Time for One? I I know I was always complaining there wasn't a campaign in that game because I thought the universe they created was so interesting and, and I wanted to explore it more and further and find out about the factions. So what have they done here? They've given us a campaign and it's batshit fucking brilliant. Um, it's so weird, like some of the elements that they have put into this game because in development they basically said to their teams, come up with some ideas. You know, come up with some concepts and we'll make it work. And they have. And sometimes it feels a bit like, oh, you're now on the X section of the game. And now you're in the Y section of the game. And then the A section of the game. You know, I don't want to spoil anything. Some of the mechanics are really, you know, they're single use. They don't show up in the multiplayer and they come out of nowhere. Uh, I know Richard's just experienced it for the first time playing the game as well. And it's, it is weird, isn't it? Some, and you're like, oh, they're doing this now? Yeah, um, <laughs> never, like, never, never saw some of that come in. It, yep. it is oh, it's just so surprising. You're like, oh, oh, it's it, oh, and now it's gone, and it's never coming back. Oh, okay, oh, okay then, cool. Um, and 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 it just changes up the whole way. The, some of the best bits in Titanfall 2's campaign are the bits where you don't do any shooting, where it's just these kind yeah, of yeah. like 
puzzly platformy sections. But because the locomotion and the control of the character is so fluid, is so intuitive, is so engaging, it's so much fun to do. But then they'll be like, here, get in a Titan, have a Titan war. It's you, 40 other Titans against another 20 Titans or whatever. And you're like, you're having a massive rut. And that feels amazing as well. And that's what's so cool about Titanfall. They, they, they nail that, that pilot, uh, the player on foot mechanics so well. But then when you get into a Titan, when you get into your walking mech, it feels different enough to make it feel um, vital and interesting, but also at the same time accessible enough that you don't feel like you've got to learn a whole bunch of different mechanics. Um, and, it, and it just works so goddamn well. It is polished to perfection and play tested. You can tell they've thought about map design and level design, and they've thought about how the guns work. And the guns feel so good, and there's so and there's enough variety in there that you don't feel like you're necessarily just using the same weapon all the time. But you'll definitely make you know discover favorites that you want to use more and more. Um, I I love Titanfall too. It's really really excellent game. Um, but I just hope more people pick it up. Maybe as the season winds down or into the new year, because you know Titanfall One definitely had a problem with players falling off of it. Um, and the only kind of criticism is like, uh, it's a shame that the horde mode that they brought to Titanfall 1 hasn't been included with Titanfall 2 from the start. You know, the cooperative kind of multiplayer aspect, which was quite fun. Uh, but, you know, they might patch it in. They've said, you know, and the exact opposite to Battlefield 1, Richard, you know, with this ridiculous premium pass, that's 40 quid. Titanfall 2 is going to have maps and modes coming in and it's all going to be free. And that's you know, they're not going to charge for any of it. That so, is literally the reason that I bought it. It's interesting that EA would have two amazing shooters with very different core outlooks yeah. on the way they're monetizing the experience. Um, and I think it's cool that EA, you know, it's got to this point as a company where they, they, can, they can give developers that sort of freedom to let rip and do things. I just really hope this is an EA going, oh, we told you, Respawn, Titanfall sucks. Now make us six Star Wars games, um, which I feel like might be where they're going with it. Um, because the, but, you the, know, real, the real problem here is that the EA are going to look at the numbers of the two games and go, oh, look, see, the one we sold with the premium pass and all the filthy extras, that made loads of money, and then Titanfall made none. So I think that's let's never maybe, do that again. <laughs> I think that's maybe twisting it around a bit. They probably are aware that Titanfall wasn't going to sell as well, and they wouldn't be able to shift a season pass. They've, they've, they've come out and they've said, we're going to support it. You know, We're not dropping it. It's going to... They're going to keep pushing it and stuff. They have said that because people have been like, wow, why did you bring this out one week after Battlefield 1 and a week before Call of Duty Infinite Warfare? Now, I've only just started playing that. Um, I've only put a couple of hours in so far. I'm at the beginning of the story, uh, and I've also had a go on Modern Warfare Remastered, which is the Call of Duty 4 remaster that's come with the game. And oh, it comes with a, the 80-quid version of the game, the special edition of the game. Um... Yeah, which is an interesting, another interesting idea. Now, this is Activision. Um, and, yeah, this this, uh, this feels like the lesser of the three so far. Um, I, I like this. I personally like the sci-fi stuff because I'm a big sci-fi person anyway, and I enjoy that. And I'm not like the kind of person that, you know, I wasn't one of the 13 million or whatever that downvoted the trailer on YouTube because you're a bunch of weird Reddit <laughs> arseholes. Um, however many people did that. But, you know, I like what they're doing they've done this kind of thing where they've gone let's do future but let's at the same time only kind of go halfway because we're a bit afraid of the backlash whereas Titanfall 2 feels like it fully embraces its science uh, science fiction setting infinite warfare feels like oh we'll do it in the future there'll be spaceships but really they're just like naval ships 
Uh, and we have robots, but really they're just like dudes. And uh, we'll have future guns, but really that's just like an SMG, like a P90 you fired before. Um, so mm, it doesn't quite feel like they're committing to it, but hey, you know, I'm early days. But one of the cool things is like, you know, you're the, you play as the main character and this is this guy who is like a Top Gun pilot. But you, so you're you're ground you're ground warfare guy, but you also you're like a marine, I guess. You also get in airplanes and you, you have space combat and dogfighting as well. And they've they've called duty the dogfighting and made it like ridiculously easy, uh, from what I can tell. It's just spectacle, isn't it? Call of Duty is always just spectacle. It doesn't feel there's like there's actually a lot of interesting things going on with the mechanics. Um, so what you do is cool. But the other thing is weird. It's like it seems to be the ugliest of the three games as well. Um, for whatever reason, it doesn't look that great at points and at times and it you know when you compare it to battlefield which is mind-blowingly beautiful or, or Titanfall, which has a very strong visual aesthetic infinite warfare just feels a little bit safe and a little bit down the middle and and you can tell that they went you know infinity war went yeah let's do this let's go sci-fi let's do it and then activision went well not too much because you're going to upset people don't go too far away from your roots guys you know you know what you're good at stick to that and, it, and, and then they went, ooh, they really didn't like that, did they? Should we re-release Modern Warfare 4 as well and see if, uh, if that helps the sales? And I played some of that earlier, and it was weird. Um, that, you know, the shooter genre has come a long way since that was released in, I think, like 2007. And I played that game to silly amounts. I mean, that was one of those games where I was playing in clans on multiplayer that I got you know, back in the the early days of uh, Brit Xbox and stuff, you know, clan competitions. And that was one of those games where I, I felt I actually got to a high standard. So it was very weird when earlier I jumped into a multiplayer map and I was like, oh my God, I'm back here. This I'm having like weird sense memory. I'm flashing back to 10 years ago almost. This is so strange. I remember this map so well. Like, you know, I know all the choke points. And do you know what reminded me of, of this experience? It really stood out to me. It's like, huh. That's kind of one of the reasons why I sort of stopped playing games this much. Um, the map ended, the match ended in this map, which was Crash, the Crash map. If you remember it with the helicopter in the middle. Uh, and uh, there's a guy and, he, and he's upset about losing. And he's saying things such as, you fucking camping cunts, you fucking cunts. You only win because you're a bunch of camping oh. assholes. You fucking count. And he's just losing his mind. And he sounds about 14. And he's using every piece of bad language he can imagine. And you're like, yep, that's Call of Duty. That's <laughs> why I don't play multiplayer Call of Duty. I haven't had a single experience of that in Titanfall. Not a single experience of that in Battlefield. Not a single experience of that in, Infi in, in uh, Infinite Warfare, weirdly. Uh, though I only played a couple of games in multiplayer with that so far. But in Modern Warfare 4, it's almost like I travelled back in time. And it was like those same 14-year-old dickheads are shouting abuse at people because they lost it in a, in a silly multiplayer game. And you're just like, this is like, for Christ's sake, this is the problem, isn't it? This is the fucking problem. <laughs> and you're just head in hands going, oh, report that dickhead. Yeah, yeah, he's getting reported. Not that anything will happen, but yeah, I'm going to do it. But it's just like, oh, guys. But yeah, there is a, a familiar nostalgia to it. I did, the first, I did the first couple of missions in single player for it as well. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I remember this game. It looks a bit better, but it still plays kind of dated. You know, you've got very slow reloads got some weird sort of clipping it not clipping issues but like collision issues with other npc players where you can get stuck behind them when they're stacking up and stuff on the doors um oh. it just felt it just feels really gated and very dated it just doesn't it doesn't feel like a modern shooter it feels like a game from nearly 10 years ago 
and you're just like, well, yeah, you're going to do it for sales, Activision. I get it, but totally unnecessary. And all it shows is a lack of confidence in your new product. That's all you're doing. You're just basically sending Infinite Warfare out there to fail because you're like, well, the stupid player base has already decided they don't want spaceships, so we're just going to give them modern warfare again. You know? So, eh. Any, any, anything you want to ask, guys? Or it sounds think... like it's, it's less adventurous than Titanfall 2's campaign by, by miles. Which, so far, yeah, by miles. Which everyone expected to just be a bolt-on, you know. Yeah. And just to talk about Titanfall 2 a bit, because I've played quite a bit of it today. Yeah, it, it does start out like that. I thought um, there's been a lot of really great feedback on the campaign. People took, comparing it to Half-Life 2 and all sorts. Um, yeah, I thought that was maybe a bit too much. But uh, just starting out, it did feel like, right, what is Titanfall and how can we fit that into a corridor with some narration on it? And the first mission feels a lot like that. But then it gets so blown up with all sorts of new ideas that if Call of Duty still can't manage to find anything fresh when it's changed its entire setting and feels like it needs to rely on a 10-year-old game to bolster sales. It's quite sad for Activision, I would say. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's disappointing so far, but like I've only done like, you know, a couple of hours into the story, um, maybe 20, maybe 10, 15% of it, that sort of thing. And it just, it just doesn't look great. Uh, one thing I, I you noticed know, from Titanfall, the, um, the feedback, the gunplay, you know, that, 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 sort of reaction you get when you're killing a guy, when you take a guy down, that the enemies feel different to the robots when you're taking them down, don't they? And there's a real, yeah. you get such great player feedback and it, it just feels lacking in Call of Duty, like really, really lacking. And the weird thing was when I go back and play Modern Warfare 1, it's like, oh wow, you think Infinite War, uh, Warfare feels lacking? Play Modern Warfare again. It just, it's like no feedback at all to taking an enemy down I, i'd forgotten like there was nothing um it just they just drop and that's everything feels the same and it just feels like you know just firing these like non things there's very little feedback from the guns it just yeah it feels like a 10 year old game you know it's what you'd expect and i don't have a particular strong nostalgia for that i mean i played the multiplayer a lot and i'm gonna definitely try that out a bit more all the maps are in there um just just for you know the sake of wow how much do i remember um, but I, I'm certainly out. So I guess the, the trick now for me to sum this up to finish this would be right now, which one do I want to play more of? Do I do I want to experience more of? And it's probably Titanfall 2. I think it's it's got the tightest experience in multiplayer and single player. And it feels like it's got the most polish, whereas Battlefield's multiplayer is anarchic and crazy and chaotic. Um, that works. That can work for it and against it. You know, um, but Titanfall's multiplayer is a more controlled experience and you definitely feel like you have more agency and a bit more influence over the outcome of, of a game than you do in battlefield because there's so many players and so much crazy stuff going on in battlefield i've won more games in battlefield than i have in titanfall but i feel like i can look at my um my play style and my skill in titanfall and i can see that it's improving and that i'm getting better whereas in battlefield i i'm, I'm just sort of you know you're thrown into the meat grinder and you're like wow what's gonna happen and that's fun in its own way, but it's, it's yeah, unpredictable and bizarre. And I'm, I predominantly, I did try all the modes in Battlefield, but predominantly it's the 32 on 32 conquests, which is what sets it apart. But, you know, this has been an amazing year so far for surprisingly good shooters. Started with Doom. We've got Battlefield and Timefall a week together like this with amazingly good, like the single player experiences in those three games. 
it's almost like the developers have woken up and gone, we can't get away with just making big multiplayer games anymore. We need to focus on the narrative. Players are demanding good narrative experiences, you know, for their shooters. And that's what they've given us, surprisingly good narrative. Doom is still the best, in my mind. If you want to play a shooter and be blown away by a single player, play Doom. But um, Timefall 2 comes very, very close. Yes. And deserves that five stars. I'm going to finish it after this. Ah, good man. Good man. <laughs> um, I think that brings us to the end. I think it's fair to say. I mean, I played a little bit of The Division 1.4 post-patch. I don't know if you guys care, but it makes it better. Um, it does make it better. It makes me want to go back and play more again. It's funny um, you say that because I was just looking on CD keys. They've got The Division for £15. It's pretty good. It's it. Have you not played it at all? No. Yeah, then it's worth it. Yeah, it's it's certainly a really fun experience up to the, the level cap. That was that was the best bit of the game until the 1.4 patch, and then the end game was the lacking stuff. So for 15 pounds, it's got a cool story, a cool concept, beautiful environment, good shooting, nice third person action, works really really well up to that level cap. And now I think with this patch, they've freshened things up. They've really improved that that end game loot grindy Destiny esque thing. Of it, you know, so that 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 seems to be working really well. So yes, hmm. oh, so many shooters. I need a break from shooters. I think it's now. Uh, now the shooter season is done. It's open world season, I believe, isn't it? We've got no. Watch Dogs, Watch Dogs <laughs> Two, and uh, is there something else as well. Oh yes, Dead Rising Four. Yeah. In the next month or so. So uh, that'll be my what? next uh, my next cross to to die on. Uh, that's that's what's that's what's that's going to be for me, I suspect. So yes. Have you had a chance to play any wrestling yet, Richard? No, I haven't yet. No. I saw you dabbled with some more Forza because you went from level one to seven or something like that. Something pathetic like that. Is that right? What, what Horizon 3? Mm. No, I'm level 40-odd in that. Oh, are you? Because your driver tile joined my game and it's only said level of seven on it. That is not Earlier correct. today. No, I've played uh. quite a lot of Forza 3. Oh, good. Horizon. You're liking it. It's good, isn't it? It's really it's good. Fucking... Yeah, I've been playing all of them. It's kind of inspired me to just play the rest of them, and so I'm switching between them, um, <laughs> in and out with the Forza Hub. You know, you can get that yes. hub app. And I use that. I use it. Sort of contribute to an overall profile by playing all the games. I'm actually mm-hmm. doing that. Um, so yeah, that's taking like more time than I really wanted it to. In Forza, you make but... hurry up and get back to Farming Simulator, Richard. Come on. I know, I know. Those cows don't fall over themselves. Adam, you've been very quiet in the last bit here. Does any of this conversation about, you know, these AAA shooters on consoles and stuff, they are on PC as well, obviously, but does it make you think, oh, I should get an Xbox. You could join the lads. Get on, come on. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'll buy me one and I'll have it. That'd be great. (laughs) Do you want want my old one? Otherwise, I need money. I will, what? Yes, I'll have it all. That'd be amazing. Um, the only thing I can really add to that discussion is that like on Twitter there was like a big drive last week to get people to try and buy Titanfall 2 because a lot of people do feel like it's kind of the secret gem of the year. Um, people are really, really liking it and also there is this observation that it is dying on its arse sales-wise, which is a shame because it sounds really good. Certainly of the three, that is the one I would play. Wouldn't touch either of the other two. Screw them. But Titanfall <laughs> looks really awesome. Um, the thing with the sales thing on Titanfall, I think it's a, it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy problem because I, I suspect the sales haven't been as bad as all that. But if people keep telling people that they are bad, it just reinforces yeah. that fact and therefore like, makes me almost less likely to buy it. So it's if, like... If it sold no, less than Titanfall 1, that yeah, it is did, really yeah. bad. 
Because it's not yeah, if you think about it's March multi-format issue, it's the fact that there's yeah, been it's two, two years of console yeah. sales since then as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. So I, I do hope people pick it up because I don't think it's quite as much of a hidden gem as Doom maybe was. But Doom, I think word of mouth got out and a lot of people picked it up. But um, yeah, I, I that story is bonkers fun. It's it's total derp. Like it's complete sci-fi bollocks, but it's done <laughs> in such a fun, creative way that you're just like, yes, me and my Titan that has an AI and 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 that you know I grow attached to, in spite of you knowing how it's going to end, pretty much from moment one. You're like, no, you really do care about BT, which is the name of your Titan, and you know you really you you and him have a partnership, and you want to make it through, and you want to you know save the day from the crazy bad guy mercenaries called the Apex Predators. You couldn't get more cheesy than that. They're, they're a group of evil mercenaries called Apex Predators. And you're just like, yes, yes, I'm in. Oh, definitely. It does have a baddie called Richter, though. As, um, yeah, that's awesome. Nice little nod to Total Recall. And there is an achievement called See You at the Party Richter. That's cool. <laughs> it's such a fun game it's such a fun game like people buy that buy their game so fingers crossed i'm going to hit stop broadcast in a moment and this archive shall be in its entirety up on youtube for everybody <laughs> to listen to and to watch and then i will have the audio version up because we have now reached the end of bxp's bits and bobs episode 13 looking at the calendar we've probably got one or two more episodes before the end of the year before we go on a little christmas break like we normally do um and uh, then we'll be back with the game of the year discussions in the new year but let's not get ahead of ourselves there are still some big releases to come this year so i suspect we'll be talking about watchdogs and uh, i'm sure i'm forgetting something actually can anybody else tell me what else is due before the end of the year if it's a big open world sandbox game i haven't got a chance to know it yet. Yeah. Right. Richard, can you remember any of those? I know there's been a lot of delays from the end. Like South Park got put back, didn't it, and stuff like that. So that's not this year. But... Oh, is it? Oh, I can't think of anything else. I'm, look, I'm looking him up. I'm looking him up. Somebody say talk about things. What, Phil? Come on, vamp for me, boys. Vamp for me. <laughs> it's interesting you talking about um, Call of Duty uh, multiplayer. I have this ongoing theory that so it's, it's obviously very noticeable that some games have very toxic communities around them and some don't. Mm-hmm. And my like pet theory is that essentially games in which losing is completely unenjoyable tend to have the most toxic communities. Um, like losing at Call of Duty is not doing anything. You don't really get to play the game if your team is being horribly murdered in Call of Duty. Yeah. I suspect the same thing is true in the MOBAs that get a lot of play. I think I've no, I've never played one like in any real depth, but it looks to me like a game where what's fun about that game is winning, and so. If you're denied that, then you're just sort of left with nothing. And I tend to think that's what leads to toxic communities. This is a, a pet theory that I have no real evidence for except my own feelings on it. But hmm, it's interesting. Right. Internet, some games do and some games don't, you know? You could be right. Because I mean, look at Overwatch. It, doesn't, it has a very supportive community because yeah. the way the game is set up, it doesn't really focus on winning and losing, does it? And, and Team Fortress 2 always used to have a very, very nice community around it as well. It started to go a bit after a while, but... Initially, well, very, very positive. Big release coming up on the 11th of November, which is Handball 2017. Ooh. Big release. Everybody's a big fan. I'm a big. Did anybody watch any handball at the Olympics this year? <laughs> I actually saw some. That was weird. Uh, but no, <laughs> real big Last, releases. Last Guardian. 
Last Guardian. <laughs> well, yeah, that actually technically should be out, shouldn't it? Yeah. But the big one is Dishonored 2. Mm. Big one. Okay. People, people are excited for that. Obviously not you two. Uh, and then well, we've, got, we've got Watch Dogs 2. And then we've got Final Fantasy 15. All before the end of November. Yeah. It's weird, so, David, uh, you're right. I don't care about Dishonored 2, and I absolutely should, because it's totally the sort of game I adore. Stealthy, RPG-ish, Deus Ex-y type games. But, man, why don't I care about that? But did you play the first one? Yeah, I did. And I, I think we've talked about this before. I played it up to sort of the first really kind of weird, dreamy sequence bit and then stopped playing it for the night. And then the next day I came home and looked at it and thought, nah, I can't be asked," and never played it again. I just bounced off it in a way that I can't really account for because I was enjoying it. I just never felt the drive to put it in my Xbox again. So, What about, what about you, Rich? It's the same story as every other action stealth game that has achievements telling you not to oh, kill yes. anybody. As soon as I kill someone, I've failed the game and I stop playing it forever. Oh, you fucking psychopath. <laughs> but okay. Uh, <laughs> you is, nutter. You're such a nutter. Oh, my God. That is you ruining the game for yourself. I just want that very clear. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to take the blame, but it is what it is. I never, I'll never <laughs> yeah. go back to it. Oh, fair news, but they're both basically they're both basically next. Uh, Watch Dogs Two and Dishonored Two are both basically uh, next week. And judging by the sounds of things, I'll be playing them then. Okay, cool. That's good. <laughs> I'm gonna try, go insane. Uh, but yeah, so lots more games to come on the next episode of Beats Bits and Bobs in a couple of weeks. Make sure you send me an email or Twitter or Facebook if you're interested in writing things. But also follow us on Twitter at BXB Games, on Facebooks at BXB Games, and don't forget to go to the website bxbgames.co.uk. Richard can be found at Colonel Red on Twitter and Colonel Red on Xbox Live. Adam can be found on Twitter at Adam Breeden Dev, but he does not have an Xbox, so. Send him one. Yeah, send, send Adam and send, send him an Xbox. Xbox. That would be great. Xbox One, none of your 360 shit. Can we set or, up an Amazon, Amazon wish list for Adam? Sure. And then maybe <laughs> we'll it or conversely, you could send Adam loads of hate mail about his horrible take on the RimWorld creator. Yeah. yeah that might be, that might be uh, yeah, it, it has been a good couple of weeks since anyone called me SJW scum, so I'm hoping. Come on. Yeah. I, need remember my, he, I, I need my dose. You have to remember, he's a pretty little snowflake, and he takes things very, <laughs> very deeply, everything you say. He carries it in his heart. Until, okay. if, you keep, if, you're, if you're horrible to him enough, he'll just kill himself. So, you know, make sure you push. Okay, so that's the end of the episode. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Bye-bye! Bye. Bye. Bye.